And joining me on Verity today is my, well, soon-to-be good friend, Wotan. Welcome, sir. Mr. Roman, thank you for having me and thank you for your time. No, no, the pleasure was all mine. I mean, you're my favorite kind of black person. Um, I think you are called all sorts of names, but uh, you know, I need to talk to clever blacks such as you. <laughs> and it's not racist because you said I must call you that. Yeah, that is that is true. It's it's taking the power of the word. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, let's, let's go through your history because you are the second person that I know that is black and has been middle class for a few generations now, not just it's the last about, two. Yeah, about two two generations. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. So I understand that your your both your parents were educated, both had degrees, mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware. And yes, uh, both, both I, had tensions within within the communities they grew up, I believe. Yeah, well, okay, just just for background, my, my, my father was a human rights lawyer and my mom is an auditor. Uh, well, her first degree is in auditing. She's also got a master's in financial management, so she's quite uh, clued up in, in sort of that sort of thing. Um, and her brothers, uh, one is a neurosurgeon and the other is a computer scientist like myself. <laughs> Goodness, a whole bunch of sellouts. Yeah, it's, totally. It's quite disgraceful, Wotan. I'll be ashamed. <laughs> but, okay, but on a serious note, I mean, how did it feel to grow up in, in a household that appears to to enjoy and thrive on intellectual endeavors and professional endeavors, especially, especially, I suspect, during the late 70s and 80s and even early 90s? Um, I mean, I'm, the, rhetoric yeah. of, the rhetoric of the time was of revolution and class oppression, and here mm. you are as a middle class black guy and a middle class mm. family. Um, mm. I mean, were there tensions? Well, I mean, just just for background and sake, I, I I'm sort of a tail end millennial, so so you know, late late eighties, early nineties born, and um, so for me, when I was coming up, things were already shifting, but. For my parents, uh, especially for my mom, um, first and foremost, my grandfather and grandmother always instilled a very strong discipline of, of self-reliance, firstly, and self-improvement. And also they, they, they instilled the principle, even in the grandkids, of just because somebody makes fun of you, it doesn't mean that this thing is wrong or bad. So I, I think in that way, they were sort of inoculated against it. But there was uh, certainly a lot of jealousy. And uh, I mean, I, I've been told the stories from before I was even born. And as you suspect, there was a lot of jealousy and, and issues of that sort. So, so what, are, what are some concrete examples of that? If you have one or two to share with us, of course. Okay. So uh, let me see. I'll, I'll start with my grandfather. He was a businessman. And uh, towards the sort of, I would say, early 90s, late 80s, uh, we're, we're, we're from Pretoria, so uh, out in Haramkua, uh, he has he had a business there with his his fellow businessmen, and uh, during one of the sort of unrest riots, uh, his uh, his shop, our family shop, was actually burned down and destroyed, and uh, this was long before you know the current political environment we have now, and uh, and the sole reason for that happening was he wasn't revolutionary enough. He wasn't socialist enough. He wasn't, you know, with it enough. And so they destroyed him and his, and well, not him, but a large amount of his stock. And uh, that was a major setback for us. And it was one of the, the indicators for us to sort of move out of the area. Yeah. And, and I wonder how pervasive that story is 
for for quite a few black South Africans of the time as well. Because, I mean, contrary to what we, we may believe, there were, you know, some thriving businesses in homelands and in the so-called townships of the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, exactly, exactly. It was all owned and controlled by, by the local people that lived within that area, of course. So there were businessmen, there were traders, there were mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. And I wonder mm-hmm. how pervasive that idea of revolution and socialism um, was around that inhibited the growth of those people and their businesses? Well, I, I can tell you this. Um, before sort of the ANC took power sort of situation, there was always a sort of tension between those two groups of, as you say, the more uh, economically free sort of business-minded groups and then the sort of more non-business-minded groups, the socialists. And uh, what happened as soon as the ANC took power is that that sort of tension kicked up a notch, if I, if I could put it that way. And uh, nowadays, more than ever, I think that tension is, is much, much higher. Really? So that's something I've come across as well. So independently wealthy black people who, do not, who are not ANC members or within the echelons of the ANC are, are frowned upon mm-hmm. quite heavily. Uh, if you look at... Quite um, heavily. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what Herman Mashaba had to go through... In, well, in, 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 well in, he left the fold. Right. I, right. I believe he was a member for a while. Oh, was he a member? Yeah. I mean, but he was rich before, before 94. Yeah, yeah. He made his right. money before then. And a lot of, and Mr. Maponia as well made money before then. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how interconnected these people are, but the ANC cares about capitalism when it's their people being the capitalists, right? It's, it's, it's the irony of, of socialism. You know, you enjoy all the benefits of capitalism but you don't want to appear to enjoy it. Well, it's hard when the communist uh, minister of public education or whatever it's called, um, you know, drives a, a, a 1.5 million rand BMW. Like, Champagne socialists. Well, Champagne I, socialists. Those are, those are the only socialists that I know. Um, I've yet to meet a poor person who's a, who's a socialist or a communist because I suspect poor people don't have the time or the energy to care about dialectical materialism you know, and all these other highfalutin concepts. Um, no, they, they, day-to-day is, uh, is, is what they're about and, you know, they must be respected for that. I, I never made a poor communist, I must be honest with you. I, I, I think it is certainly a luxury um, ideology, basically, yeah. Yeah, 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 quite. So another strange thing about you is that, that you actually are quite a libertarian and uh, <laughs> well i mean quite a libertarian and funny enough you are or you have met rational gent who was on the podcast what, two, two three weeks ago and apparently you two got off quite well yeah well i mean oh by the way firstly i'm, I'm surprised you had me on first before like big daddy liberty or some, somebody like that oh no like, I, yeah. I, sp- I speak to sikhle all the time <laughs> no, he's a good friend I have, uh okay so um yeah i have met him uh what, what do you I look. I, I I get on with him. He's he's he's. A, I know I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this, but he's he's a good oak. There's there's my Trump moment. Great people on both sides, um, but it, interpersonally, he's 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 a good oak. And uh, you know, people can judge their, their their sort of things about his ideology there and there. And I have my disagreements with him, but we speak to each other, you know, on a personal level. Sure. And uh, yeah, I mean that's. that's, that's, that's 
that's the benefit of individualism, right? I, I cannot understand when people use collective terms for things. I mean, obviously, it, it's helpful. You say, there's a bunch of men, there's a bunch of women. Descriptive, for descriptive purposes, it has a role to play. But Absolutely. When people say the alt-right are all white supremacists, as an example, it's an absurd claim to make because you don't know any, everyone in the alt-right and you don't know what they think. And according to a philosopher friend of mine, the alt-right as a group doesn't even exist because no groups exist. Um, so, and that's the benefit of being sort of a libertarian. I'm sort of a libertarian. I'm more of an anarchist than a libertarian. Is that you see people as individuals and you judge them in an individual capacity. And a good example exactly. of this, a good example of this is that riot at the stadium where yeah. everyone thought that man kicked a female security guard in the head. And, and then all the talk about you know, patriarchy and, and male toxic masculinity came out. And I just had to state, you know, the, the person at fault here is that man kicking that security guard in the face. Exactly. exactly. I mean, to collectivize uh, all men, for me, I don't even give a fuck about soccer. You want to see me in the stadium dead. So why the fuck am I involved? Well, I, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I've, I've had arguments about this with people. And I, I maintain that... I don't, I don't not hit girls because of some antiquated notion of chivalry. I mean, that is one of the reasons, but that's not the main reason. The main reason I don't hit girls is for the same reason I don't hit boys. is because it's a violation of the non-aggression principle. I don't initiate violence against other people. That's that. So when people are saying, oh, it's terrible that this guy is kicking a girl, I was like, no, it's terrible that this guy is kicking somebody and beating them. They're... Girl or boy is irrelevant. You're, you're initiating violence on another individual and you're initiating it outside of the context of defending yourself. Um, I'm, well, whereas I agree with you, but I do think that there's a strong connection to when, when someone of the feminine sex is getting abused um, because it's, it's deemed to be abnormal, whereas men can die in wars or suicide or all sorts of other work-related accidents and it's it's deemed to be normal there's, there's a bit of a, a double standard amongst the gender there mm. but uh, but yeah i mean i mean to be fair with you if i see a dog getting beaten i feel a lot more like sympathetic for the dog than if i see like a human it's, or, being, it's, it's, or a human being beaten rather it's it's, it's the archetype right like if, if, if a dude dies in a movie you don't care but if the dog dies you all cry Type thing. Yeah, Michael Moore had a movie in 1990, I believe, and um, and it was an action movie of sorts. And then there's a one scene where a dog dies, and people called him out. They said, "Why? Why did you make the dog die?" He says, "30 people lost their lives in that movie. 12 of them were black, and you care about the damn dog." There's the point being proved. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you become a libertarian, especially in this uh, socialist shithole? <laughs> okay, so um, first and foremost, as I said. You know, in, in hindsight, I was probably being groomed to be a libertarian before I realized it because, uh, you know, my my grandfather was a very diehard uh, businessman and uh, my mother very much raised me in the, in, in the ideal that you're, you're free to do what, whatever you want, but your consequences of actions and you can't expect somebody without something from somebody without them getting something in benefit. There's no sure. such thing as anything free in that. That, now that I think back, that sort of groomed me. But um, I guess the turning point was in sort of my early, like in the last few years, where I realized, well, you know, especially looking at American politics, 
you know, the, the archetype of what, what the D Democrats and the Republicans were supposed to be like, I thought, okay, so when the Democrats are in power, you don't quite get the civil liberties you supposedly are supposed to get from them, you know, they fight for the little guy and all that. But when you when the Republicans are empowered, you don't quite get the small government and minimal spending they supposedly stand for either. You know, the the, the omnibus packages they approved it, it's horrendous. I mean the bailouts they approved for the banks, that was that was that was horrendous. So I thought, okay, there has to be another way. And then so I just sort of Googled my way through the internet and found this concept called libertarianism. And I found this internet guy called Ron Paul, and then it was all downhill from there. Why do you think people are so attached to politics or, or get attached to these the, to political ideas? Because it strikes me as odd. I'm not a, I'm, what do you call it? I'm not a, I'm a, I look at life through principles and values, not mm. through statements. Like when people say all abortion is wrong, that's obviously a silly statement to make. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm generally against abortion. Um, unless, uh, unless for honesty's sake, so am I. Right. Just, I mean, just unless, it can be, unless it can be proven that the baby is completely deformed, like beyond anything, or that the person, if born, will suffer immensely. So, for example, if you're in Syria right now, pregnant, and you wish to get an abortion, I would have, I would say yes, go ahead. But if you're doing it for ulterior reasons i would say there's more of a problem that it's you know my position on abortion is fluid like autism and gender <laughs> we'll get into that in a minute so yeah i, I tend to agree I, I i am generally against abortion myself and, and i can hear like the feminist uh, twitter accounts flooding to my to to to, to me now but um yeah i just yeah i get i, I agree for the most part what you're saying that you know Right, but then, the, but then the problem is, I agree with Christopher Hitchens, who says, if you wish for a society to prosper and be wealthy and healthy, you empower women, and that includes contraception, and that includes abortion rights. And when societies don't have abortion, infanticide is much higher. It goes much higher than societies with abortion in it. So, and, is that true? That is true. Oh, uh, I did not know that. And. I uh, sorry, and one last thing. And then people who do abort the fetuses are often those that know they won't be able to take care of the kid anyway. And maybe it's better for abortion to happen because who knows what might happen to that child. And for me, childhood trauma is a big problem. Oh, yeah. Is, I in, get to you. Well, in I, most I, societies. I yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much established that I am a pro-lifer. Oh, I can see the downvotes coming. Anyway, uh, <laughs> So on on that point, I I just have to question um, the whole. Uh, I'm I'm again also I'm pro life, but also pro contraception. If you want to give birth control, whatever. Um, my my question with 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 the with the argument of of their life will not be that great, or they won't be able to raise a child, is why not allow somebody else to adopt the child? I mean, there's ways there's ways other solutions or alternatives, sure. But the problem is in in our society that the state controls that. Mm. And um, my other, yeah, yeah, and I don't trust the state to do to do very well in those in that regard. And there's precedent yeah. to show that it's an absolute disaster. Yeah, yeah. And my other issue with with abortion is, um, I I've I've seen very few very solid arguments for abortion that cannot be applied to already living people. Things like, oh, they can't survive 
outside of the womb type thing. And I'm like, well, my grandmother can't survive without her pacemaker. And yeah, it's for, for lack of a better term, it's, it's the Ben Shapiro argument of, of, of pro-life where what argument do you apply to abortion that you can't apply to a living person? And from that, I, I, I you know, yeah, and that's what and that's what causes polarization in the U.S. I mean, if you have pro-choice, but people think pro-choice is murder, you're not going to have a good conversation about the topic. It's like it's like debating it's like debating far murders here. Um, mm. People, if you think abortion is murder, you're not going to have a polite conversation about it. And uh, you, you, so, just just so I can be clear on what you're inferring there is that. You know, the, the point is, if you want to have a frank discussion about something, you shouldn't bring sort of antagonistic feelings to to the table. Is that, is no, that no, not even that. I'm just I'm just discussing the positions people hold. Um, if you, if you are a, a, an evangelist, Republican evangelist, and you think abortion is murder, do you ever, you know, are you ever going to have a discussion about when murder is right or wrong, except for self defense purposes, of course? But I mean, it's an absurd argument oh, in their okay. minds to okay. have. I mean, I, I, I know some fantastic, very conservative uh, healthcare workers, and they're very pro-life, but, you know, as pro, I get what you're saying, and they're very pro-life, but as pro-life as they are, even they wouldn't go firebomb a, a Planned Parenthood, for example. They'd rather prefer to, to just not fund Planned Parenthood, and that's the sort of pro-life crowd that I can get on board with, as opposed to the to the pro-life crowd that says, no, nobody will be able to have abortions ever. Like that crowd, I'm not on board, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. How do we come to abortion? I have no idea. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Maybe we were talking about something terrible beforehand. I, I don't know. So, uh, your, uh, your libertarianism, I mean, how has that affected your social life? Um, I, I, I'm one of those insufferable guys that tells my friends at every opportunity that taxation is theft. Good and man. I keep post, I keep posting it in every WhatsApp group of my friends every time, you know, and then I'm like, uh, you know, they're like, well, what, well, well, who would, build, you know, my favorite thing is who would build the roads if we didn't have the government? We would, we would build the damn roads. Okay. Well, just take a hypothetical. You've got a residence here and you've got a shop a hundred meters away and you've got the owners of both right in the middle saying, how on earth are we going to get between these places? We need the government well, to do it. No, of course not. The fucking, the people that live there built the roads. It happened I before mean, the I, state I, I, and I, I, it will happen way after the state. Uh, arguably, <laughs> arguably building roads has been quite a disaster because um, traffic is when the free market meets state regulation that's what a traffic jam is if we didn't have roads subsidized by the state that needed to be used car makers would have every incentive in the world to do things other than cars built for the road we would be flying in jetpacks by now well i actually have a very uh, i have a very interesting uh, sort of discussion about jetpacks and flying cars later from a computer science perspective um but yeah i agree i mean i i visit the northwest regularly and um there's two sets of roads that, that, that I use like going to the Northwest is the N4 and there's a road running parallel to it, which is basically an extension of the old church road, which is, which runs past Atridgeville. And the N4 toll road is a dream to, to drive through the, the basic governmental town road that drives parallel to Atridgeville is a nightmare. 
And that, that to me is the greatest side-by-side -side comparison as to, you know, privatize. Oh, and all the little plot roads that people have between their, their farms and stuff in the Northwest that they've sort of gotten together as communities and privately laid gravel or tar in some cases, and they work fine. Well, I mean, road building's not a, yeah, it's not that difficult. Uh, look, I mean, my friends always, I mean, I try to explain libertarian policies to my friends and they're like, that's insane. And, you know, my, my stock standard reply is to a bird raised in the cage, the concept of freedom sounds insane. It does. Oh, come on. That's a quote you got off the internet. Where's some originality? Is it on the internet? I think so. Okay. I've heard something similar before. So tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on tribalism. My thoughts on tribalism. Politically, okay. racially, if, whatever you want uh, to discuss. Okay, let's let's start with the big one, racially. Okay, so, you know, obviously, uh, so if somebody, you know, if, if somebody says, you know, I, I get that feeling, you know, hey, cuz, what's up? Yeah. You know, we're both, we're both Tsana. And um, I'm, I'm like, cool, that's great. You know, I have that, oh, hey, I recognize you moment. But beyond that, I don't feel like full on outright blood and soil type thing like you know it's cool that we both speak the same language you know have knowledge of the same language and because but beyond that you're just another individual to me. so for me tribalism is is both both um politically and culturally is pretty damn overhyped and kind of destructive in many cases which isn't to say you shouldn't remember you know your cultures your cultural practices whatever it adds spice to life but i have no allegiance to it beyond that you know I mean, I mean, fine, you don't, but millions and millions and millions of people do. And that's what causes the, you know, some of the most intense suffering in the world. Uh, for example, um, like an anti-voter, right? There's 14 million of them, say, at the last election. There's 14 million reasons why people voted for the ANC. And it's not because they like the policies. That's maybe 2% of the electorate. For the rest, it's a cultural event. It's part of life. It's what we've grown up to to do is to vote for the ANC. And I get that. I understand that. But it goes against the interest to do so, uh, yet people do it. Uh, so tribalism in that regard is very powerful, very pervasive and detrimental, yet people still partake in it. Because they can. Oh, by the way, can I just point out that there is not a single Mutsuana person on, on the NEC, the top six NEC, not a single Tswana or Sutu person on the on the NEC top six. Or, so, or, you know, or anyone with we, a lighter hue, to be fair. Yeah. So we're never going to eat that cake. Like, no words. Like, <laughs> it's all Zulek Grasa people, right? We, we're never going to eat that. <laughs> no, okay. But it's yeah. cool. We've got our own country. It's called Botswana. Anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's the dumbest thing. And, 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 and I don't think it's, it's, it's specific to South Africa. You know, oh, of course not. You know, you've got the Kurds and whatever. And it's Sunni and Shiite Kurds. There's there's all that shit in the Balkans. There's, there's so much just collectivist. Just it drives me insane. It it it, it honestly does. No, the, the narcissism of smaller of small differences um, is a, is a term I, I once heard, and it explains it well. You you share the same culture, history, religion for 98% of the time. And then that just that 2% difference that causes immense rifts within societies. And it's all a fuck up. Yeah. I mean, especially in South Africa, obviously, as you said, with the racial, you know, collectivism and all that. I mean, 
like people, you know, I'll be sitting in a bar and, and my, I'm, I'm based in Pretoria, but I'll be sitting in a bar and people will be like, hey, that guy also frequents this place, you know, he's also black, aren't you guys mates? I'm like, I know him, but beyond that, you know. Holy shit, people say that. Yes. Really? I'm cordial, I'm cordial with him, but beyond that, why Why should I care? Why should I care? And the, it's, it's actually the worst when it comes to dating, when, when your friends try to hook you up with something like, you know, she's black, you're black. Yeah, I'm like, and well, what what do you, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Oh, well, don't you don't you date black girls? What? <laughs> Absolutely do. Uh, oh. There's actually there's actually uh, uh, one of my favorite artists, rap artists, a guy by the name of Childish Gambino. Um, actually explained this whole thing perfectly in one of his songs, and um, it's it's just three lines of lyrics where he basically. It's a stereotype that very educated, high class, highly educated black men do not date black women. And there's actually a very good reason for that. And uh, I realized it as I was growing up is that obviously I'm not a thug. I never have been and I never will be. And in his song, Childish Gambino basically says, it's not that I'm not into the sisters. It's just that they're not into me. And that's very true for myself and, and other, you know, highly educated, clever blacks is that, you know, you'll approach... Not so much now that we're getting older, they're maturing a bit, but when we're younger, you'll approach, you know, other black people and uh, black girls and they'll be like, oh, you're nice, but you're too nice. And then there's the guy with a muscle top and a polo and maybe a, a, a drunk driving conviction and she's just smitten over him. She has no interest in the guy with, you know, someone like me with a retirement portfolio type thing. Like that's. But as but that is changing as we get older, I do find it easier to date black girls now that I'm older, that they, their priorities have sort of changed. So it's not that we're not into the sisters, it's just that a lot of them aren't into us because we're not thugs. Yeah, but I mean, stability is not high up on the agenda when you're young. I mean, when, exactly. you, were, when you were young, did you, want, uh, did you want stability? No, you wanted creativity, you wanted to mm. explore, you wanted to find new things. Stability is for the old people, and mm. you just proved it. But don't worry, I mean, I, I partly grew up in a place called Bedford View, which is notorious for... Oh, no, I know Bedford View well. I went to school in Joburg. Oh, did you? Where? Yeah. Uh, I went to... Uh, if you um, want to say online, then. No, that's fine. Uh, I went to Hyde Park High, and I also went to uh, Summit College. Never heard of either. Um, Schools. Hyde right. Park High. Okay, I know Hyde Park High. Yeah. No, so, so I, I, I grew up on a farm, and then at the age of 13, 14, we moved to Bedford View. And there, it is just the shittiest culture of neuro-riche, gaudy, um, Tuscan villa bullshit houses. And the place was run by 20 to 23 year olds in muscle tops with the Golf GTI. Oh, and that's, that. and that's when you made it. And I was like, this is so stupid. It's go, so stupid. Even at the time, I, I used to, I, I mean, I still do. I used to go hunting. I used to do uh, mixed martial arts. I used to shoot guns. I used to do like so many things. And I always and thought, it's just not there. and I always See? thought, you know, I could, okay, I, mean, I met my wife a long, long time ago, but I always thought how boring is this? That, that, that civic life is really. Um, but yeah, I mean, just that's another, you know, form of equality between the races. We both do, uh, we both don't like stability at a young age. Conversely though, uh, before, before I, I get accused of calling all black girls loving thugs only, conversely, I've, I've also been propositioned by non-black girls who are, who are like, I'm, I'm really into black guys. And the minute she opens with that, I'm instantly turned off because 
because I'm not there to, to feed into a fetish type thing, you know. Oh, come on. Be a sex subject for once, Wojtan. <laughs> might do you some good. Sorry? It might do you some good to be a sex subject. Uh, no, I'm not into – and also I've, I've had some of my black friends when I am dating a white girl say, oh, man, she's awesome. She's great. She's so hot. And I'm like, you haven't spoken one word to her. She could be shit for all you know. Your only me- metric of, of thinking she's fantastic is that she's white. And that that irritates me, you know. That irritates me too. Uh, and I want to know from you, not that you're the spokesman for the blacks by any means. No, he's, no, that's 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 Jesse Jackson. He's the emperor of black people. Oh, he's the emperor. Okay. Him, Snoop Dogg, and... and uh, Al Sharpton. Uh, Al Sharpton are the, the triumvirate of black people. Understood. Okay, next time I see him, I'll ask him the same questions. Is there a lot of um, efforts made to assimilate to white Western culture? Great question. So I'm going to unpack that real quick. Okay. So first and foremost, I mean, obviously now, now this is where all the people are going to be rushing in. Like, oh, these cultures are incompatible. <sighs> there is an effort to, I would say, assimilate to a certain business culture and a certain educational culture. And by that, I mean... You know, when we get to work, we, we all speak English and we all do this and we do that. And then when we get home, we live in our particular cultures as we want. Right. But soci- socially, um, the, the, that's where maybe sometimes a friction comes in. And I'm going to give you an example of, of um, and this is where I learned something really great from um, my high school principal, Mike Drake. He passed on a few years ago. Great guy. And uh, he, he gave us an example of the difference between intent and execution. Um, I don't know how many of your listeners know this, but obviously in many sort of white European Western cultures, let's call it, uh, a sign of respect is to stand up when, when a superior or an elder walks in the room and look them in the eyes. But in a lot of black cultures, it's actually the opposite. You're meant to sit down and avert your gaze because to stand up and to look them in the eyes is seen as a challenge to their to their legitimacy and their and their uh, authority. So I can see situations whereby you can mean to do well and mean to show respect and end up doing just the opposite. So is, is there pressure? Yeah, there's pressure, and there's also. But I think for the most part, most of us want to be respectful to each other. We just sort of end up tripping over the, the semantics. <laughs> All right. Well, my thoughts, I mean, corporate culture does strip out identity and it does that for a good reason. And I mean, I fully understand everyone wears the same fucking shitty pinstripe. Um, <laughs> Not me. I'm a programmer. I wear t-shirt and jeans. Like, Yeah. Well, I mean, that's another cliche, but they wear that there's, there's shitty candy pinstripe top, um, shirts that are always like two sizes too big and chinos that are also three sizes too big and very, very thick sold black shoes and mm. and i i went to fmb the other day for the clients and everyone was wearing that that sort of corporate uniform um all races uh, all employees and i thought you know i mean I, I work for myself thankfully but it really strips away identity the corporate culture i think it's becoming a lot better than before but uh, that corporate culture really does so and i'm wondering if how that affects people generally speaking because what we expect at work is to be fair boredom routine um and you you get along with everyone but in a very superficial manner and i wonder how that affects people's minds about others or about their own existence within a a certain space because as i said before 
we live in you know we live in africa it's a, it's a unique continent with unique problems and, and and it's and it's great uh, the thin edge of chaos is always there and i really really love that and i respect people that live here out of their own free will and own free volition and i wonder if like corporate culture alienates us from that my my question for that before i answer that is is it bad that it alienates us from that do we not need some sort of stable neutral ground on which to conduct commerce but, but I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a difference between trade and 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 the corporate culture. I mean, the, you know, corporates can exist. I'm just talking about mm-hmm. the cultures within them. Ah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm gonna go with. I mean, I don't expect you to answer it. It's just uh, I'm, I'm having a stream of consciousness. Oh, that's, I actually didn't think of it that. Uh, maybe maybe it is a bad thing. I mean, maybe if we could come up with some set of. I mean, obviously, we don't want people going full cultural all the time, doing all sorts of weird stuff. Why not? Why not? I want, uh, I want women in saris, men in loincloths, Arabs in turbans. Um, really? Yeah, going to work. Who gives a fuck? Well, personally, I don't care, but that's maybe just the libertarian in me. But <laughs> I think other people might care. I don't know. I mean, they do it for Heritage Day, and everyone True. gets a, everyone gets a that fucking kick actually, out of it. That is a great point. Why are we so willing to do it on a Heritage Day? And yeah, that's a great point, actually. I yeah. mean, I've, yeah. I've worked in a great number of different environments. Uh, I mean, I worked at, uh, I, I won't mention the reason in the company, but I worked in, in Danefern at an insurance company there. And, uh, oh, Danefern, the white ghetto. The white ghetto where your mom buys you an X3 instead of an X5 and you throw a tantrum. <laughs> so, 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 so what happened to the company? Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, I, I, well, you know, I worked, well, uh, Sorry, to correct myself, I worked for a company that was subcontracted in Danfern at Stain City. And uh, one of one of the things we did was work on their websites and their systems. And uh, one of the things I noticed as sort of a cultural uh, compromising is that they had separate, separate microwaves for Muslim and non-Muslim people because of pork in, in, in food and maybe it spatters here and there. Right. And... It seemed kind of weird to me the first day, but after that, I was like, eh, screw it. I don't really care. Like, I'll just keep using the non-Muslim microwave type thing. So, yeah, maybe we can just all just do our own thing with little adjustments here and there. I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know why, for example, Christian public holidays are off, but others are not. It's just tradition and culture. That's, it's, it's I, just, I, that's actually something I've, I've wondered myself. Like, it's just yeah, based on tradition. Holiday. That's all it is. It is, there's no real point to it. It's all based is on it, tradition. It's all based on international norms set down by the West. And is it not mainly because also there's such immense commercial uh, impetus behind major Christian holidays, things like Easter and Christmas? Well, it has become that. But I mean, Easter existed before the before capitalism. <laughs> But uh, no, I don't think giving people days off just to go shopping is a valid valid reason to take a day off. Well, you know, there's a lot of women in Santon who would disagree with you. So yeah. Oh yeah, but they they think Sarah Paul is going to save them from from the the existential angst they face living in Africa. So I don't place too is much regard. I don't place is too much regard for them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair point. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, why don't you get? Yeah, mm-hmm. good. Sorry, good. Get every day off, or every what you, you know holiday off. off. Oh, every holiday off, or, or oh. rather, or rather, you know, prove that that you are of that religion and you can get that day off yeah. type thing, and then and then employ, employers can make a decision 
on a case by case. Will I hire this person? You know, they'll get this many days off. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? It depends. But your people somehow love funerals. That's what I hear. I don't know. I don't hire people. Oh, did you just use the your people? <laughs> yeah, the the the, the Swanas. No. Nice catch there. Well, I mean, if you, it's it's a known fact in in Swana culture, if you, if you do not know all the words to Sister Bettina, you're not getting into heaven. That is the rule. Oh, really? That is the rule. Yeah. So, so also, you have to watch. You have to watch Black Panther at least three times. But that's yeah. irrelevant. Oh, really? So white people go to Elysium, black people go to Wakanda. Is that it? So, uh, just just to answer the whole um, funeral, loving funerals came from is that um, it's it, it's I think for us in a lot of African cultures, it's the the concept of death is seen as so holistically part of life. You know that I this is me hypothesis you know, in, inserting my own hypothesis here, is that we're able to accept death much easier and we make it much more of a jamboree and a community event um, because we, we believe, you know, whether whether it's us having taken on Christianity or us in traditional sense, the concept of death to us has always been taught from a young age that you're going to die and it's not that bad, you know, something will happen after type of thing. I mean... Uh, for if I can give an example, when I first really understood the concept of death, I was about 12 years old, and uh, my mom took me out back out by the house, and she taught me how to slaughter a chicken. And that's when I actually really connected the concept of death. And it's also when I first really um, connected the value of the meat on my plate. Ironically enough, you know. And as we got older, we learned how to slaughter bigger and bigger animals. Uh, as we went along. So to answer your question, the reason we, we, we sort of seem to love death is because it's just seen as, as a passage phase sure. and also because we're, we're inoculated against it from a, a young age. No, no, fair enough. I mean, I was big snarky, but I think that's something that um, a few uh, Christians, uh, white Christians could learn from because in that culture, it's often seen as, I mean, that, that is, there is, you know, they go to heaven and all the rest of it, but there is a finality to it. And it's a very somber occasion. Until, uh, until you go to, you know, the Monty Python, one of them died in 1990, and John Cleese goes up to say the eulogy, and he says, I forgot who died. He says, you know, he would have wanted me to say, this is the first time the word fuck has been used at a funeral. And they made this huge joke about the funeral, and it was amazing. And, I mean, hopefully at mine one day, it will be a fun occasion, because, I mean, that's what it, it should be mm. about. It should be a celebration it of life, not... Exactly. And also the other reason we sort of, the funerals are big in, in, in Kolkasi is, is that, um, remember, when from a township perspective, you know, when you're having a funeral, it's going to be a parade through the streets, and it's not just you that cooks, it's... Your, your neighbor from three streets up cooks this and brings this dish and your neighbor from this side of, of the block brings this and it's, so and it's, so lengthy. So it's our, always our, been a community. Exactly. It's, it's a community. Maybe they should start a show. Our perfect funeral. <laughs> Have you seen Our Perfect Wedding? Our Perfect Wedding. I, think, I, I, I love my, that show. It's my favorite South African show. I, I love that. I love that. By far. Actually, even, even more than Date My Family. I know like... Like Black Twitter on South Africa is crazy about date my family. I love our perfect wedding because I've seen guys just like go insane. Like sometimes the guys go more insane about it than the girls about the wedding. I find it so, so interesting. There was one last year where a man married his best friend's daughter. And he, and he made like, he said like, you know, oh, I saw her. I remember when she was 12 
and I told my friend, oh, one day I'm going to marry your daughter when she's 18. And the man's, and she's 18 and the man's like 51. And the best thing, you, you go, you watch Our Perfect Wedding and then you stay on the Twitter hashtag throughout the, the episode. It is the best hour of the week, the best entertainment of the week, by far. And I recommend that people watch it because I learned a lot from it. I don't know, there was actually, there's actually two weddings generally, normally. Yeah. There's a traditional one, a white one. Everyone cooks. Mm-hmm. And it's always Auntie Sarah in the middle of town who makes the, the cake. I mean, my aunt recently got, got married as well. And yeah, there's, there's a great deal behind, uh, you know, traditional weddings and, and um, versus, you know, Western white weddings type things. And why is it always carrot cake? I don't know. And, and, I, and, I, and I hate carrot cake. Carrot, cake. carrot cake is like the friend zone of cakes. I hate it so, so much. It's... it's, it's 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 the of cakes. It's it's terrible. It's it's the worst thing imaginable. I mean, I often I often wish that like the most hardcore racists among us could watch our perfect wedding. I th- I think there'll be I think many people will be surprised. More like than different. Well, I, I mean, I mean that's the that's not the theme of this podcast by any means. But for fuck's sake, I lost my train of thoughts. But yeah, no, I mean, but I mean, I, people I, are similar. Cultures exist for a reason because they've been around forever, and we all appropriate each other's cultures all the time, and we make yeah, them I our love, own. I love biltong like crazy. I eat crazy amounts of biltong. Well, so you know, you more power to you, Afrikaans people. Uh, do you have a dog? I don't. I'm more of a cat guy, actually. Ooh, okay. I don't know. Zuma said nothing about cats. I don't know that you know, classifies you as an enemy or not. I mean, we're, we're already enemies because, you know, I have capitalism and, and that sort of thing. So politically, do you see any hope for this country, politically speaking? I mean, the people are fine. I mean, the politics is fucked, but I mean, the people are fine. But politically, do you think there's any hope for even a, a smidgen of economic growth and, you know, freedom and gun rights and all the rest of it? Okay, so th- I'm going to be the fly in the ointment now, uh, you know, as opposed to the rest of Twitter, that's like, we're just two days away from total civil war. You know, um, I don't think we're two days away from total civil war. Um, I don't think there will be a civil war. I am inclined to agree. And, you know, my mates are going to land base me for this, but I don't think we're two days away from total civil war. My thing about civil war is that even if you win, you lose. Like, it's, 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 it's an unfortunate thing to go through. But um, I, do I see hope? Yes. And I'll tell you why. Because I see people like, you know, Herman Mashava doing his thing in, in, in Joburg and Solim Smanga doing his thing here in Pretoria. And one of the biggest motivators for change is that I hear in conversation when I'm sitting in bars or restaurants, oh, you know, things are really changing. Like I can see the change. And this is not like an implicit, uh, you know, sort of backing of the DA because honestly, again, as a libertarian, any party in this country kind of rubs me the wrong way. But my, my, my point is the reason I see hope is because people can see when more people, good things tend to happen at the ground level. And at the end of the day, and I've had this conversation, especially with a lot of my Afghans mates, is, you know, the NC can spin as much it's apartheid rhetoric as possible. But at the end of the day, when I, I think what changed things over for Pretoria was when Zuma messed around with the with the finance ministers, and suddenly the guy in Sochanguve's you know pop and place went up ten rand the next day. They saw a real effect. Whereas when Solim Samanga takes over, and suddenly there's actual cops pulling people over for drunk driving or whatever, or there's bicycle lanes, or there's or, the, or there's pot- potholes being fixed. 
rhetoric, you can spin it as much as you like, but to the common man on the street, when he sees results, he's going to quickly throw away rhetoric and vote for results. And that's why I believe there may be hope for this country. Oh, so, so you're one of those DA acolytes. I'm disappointed. <laughs> yes, yes, I would. <laughs> no, man, as I said, I just pointed out, when it's not an bashing of the DA. I'm, I would love if we had an effective libertarian party in South Africa. I really would. But, uh, You'll never have a libertarian party effectively anywhere in the world. Yeah, well, of course, because because getting the libertarians together is like herding cats. We're all going to screw each other over, no, but the, over but, and we hate each other. But the point is never to actually win. The point is to have that debate in parliament for everyone to see that there are alternative views on the count on the table. Um, but who knows? Maybe we'll have one. There was they tried to have one here, and I was invited to go and see. But I think it was like in Oranje or something. That's bad messaging. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to pass on that. Yeah, well, they didn't get the, the votes they needed to get one seat. So, yeah. Pretoria is about as Afrikaans as I get. I mean, that's that's quite a, yeah, I don't like Pretoria at all. Like, what's up with Afrikaans? That's Afrikaan? fine. That's, that's, that's all good. That's... What's up with Afrikaans women and their hair? Well, I, I don't know. I don't date many Afrikaans women, so I wouldn't know. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask my mates about their girlfriends here. Yeah, yeah, no, because it's it's horrific. Hopefully, before they've had too many brandy and cokes, you know, before you know, they might get a bit aggressive. Like, are you checking out my chick type thing? Is <laughs> uh, I'm popping after this. But, but wait, turn. I mean, I mean, honestly speaking, day to day in your ordinary course of the ordinary day, mm-hmm. does it? Do you feel racial tension in the air? Because I admit, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't go looking. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get lambasted, but no, I don't either. I, mean, I don't I, go. I don't go looking for black people and like try to be friends with them. But I mean, I work in the CBD of Joburg. I walk there. I know people. I. I. You know, I've got the podcast. I go to the studio. There are black people there. Gosh, we get along perfectly fine. I go to the restaurant. My, you know, the patrons are eighty percent black. Like it's. I don't. To be honest, yeah. I, I think also also people. Um, racial tension, and this is why I, I, I suspected you probably didn't feel much racial tension either. And I'm going to say, I think um, people of a more uh, non-authoritarian, very individualistic slant are less likely to feel racial tension because I don't think you actually care about the ethnic makeup of the bar you go to, right? I, I, I think that's a, that's a fair assumption to make, that you don't care about the ethnic makeup of the bar you go to. Uh, yeah, well, I, mean, I don't frequent bars, but yes, restaurants well, and, pub, and whatever. whatever. Yeah. So, whereas somebody who does sort of care about that thing would consider that as, in a way, racial tension, they may not feel... Okay, wait, I actually lied. Sorry. I do care about, about ethnic things. I mean, I don't go to draws. <laughs> you know they're going to boycott the, the Renegade Report now. Oh, they've been doing so for 20 years. Well, not well, two years. So, no, I don't really care. But no, but I mean, I don't... If I, I mean, there was a great restaurant in the CBD called the Marshall Inn, run by a Portuguese family for 35 years or so. And every Friday afternoon, I used to go grab something to drink. And every, every, every day, there were the usuals. And the usuals were the diaspora of South Africa in one room. Colored, Indian, Africana, myself, as only like French Arab, black. Is it French Arab? Is that what you classifying yourself as? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I just wondered where this name came from, Cabernet. Yeah, so, uh, it's uh, south of France. But people just get along. I, I visit farms. I visit other exactly. places That's in the country. 
People just and fucking get along. I don't, I don't know where this obsession think, with race is coming I from. I think the other the other uh, um, thing where racial tension comes from is how sensitive you are as a person. And and and, and now I'm going to say a really unpopular thing is that I don't care if some, um, it's just not something that affects me. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, Wojtan, you you cut there. So are you were saying you're going to say something offensive? Um, so I just cut to to audio only. Uh, what I was 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 gonna say is that I I just don't care if somebody says you speak English so well. I do not care. But like some people are very sensitive to that. But I, I do. Not care. I, I must I must admit you really do though. Thank you. And the and and one of, and I, and I'm really proud of that because you know one of the things my mother told me as a kid is if you speak a language then if you speak a language you should endeavor to speak it so well. That if somebody spoke to you on the phone, they would not be able to distinguish whether you're a first language speaker or not. That's like her thing. Like you must excel in speaking that language. That's strange. Why would, why? I mean, I get trying to. Because our family was always about pushing excellence in everything you do. Oh, right. Right. I understand. I understand. So, 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 I mean, do you get like that sort of base level racism sometimes in Pretoria? Oh, I mean. I mean, not. I mean, I have quite a bunch of Afrikaans friends, but the only time I see any sort of real base level racism is if, if for some reason I'm romantically linked to a woman who is not black. So let's say she's Indian or white or whatever. Uh, you know, there have been moments where you get like a passing comment or passing look or whatever. But beyond that, I'm just like, what the hell ever. I really don't care. Yeah. Well, that's why you must come live in Joburg. We like twenty years ahead of you in that respect. Oh, are you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I went to school in Joburg. Okay, I, I, I was, I was, I was, I'm, I'm from Pretoria. I was born here. I'm, I'm, I'm staying here. I mean, yeah. Feel free. Feel free. But we, I went to a wedding, a gay wedding between a white and a black man, and that was in 2013, 2012, somewhere around there. Did you get invited to Milo Yiannopoulos' wedding? No, this was way before his time. <laughs> okay. uh, two other friends of mine. But in Joburg, it's completely ordinary to have mixed race well, uh, it relationships. Depends, again, it, it, it depends what parts of Pretoria as well. So let me not slander the whole of Pretoria. But yeah, I guess technically you guys are a little bit more culturally ahead in that in that sense that in general, it's safer in most parts of Joburg. Although I've been to some parts of Joburg South where I was like, hmm. Okay. Yeah, but that's Joburg South. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, Joburg South is like Victoria North. Like, you know, it's they're mirror uh, images of each other. That scene in The Lion King, what everything the light touches is grey, except for down there, and that down there is Joburg South. Same class in Victoria North. That, that's where I grew up, by the way. That's where the farm was. Where I grew oh, up. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And my and my best friends on the farm were the workers of the neighbouring farm. And the best bri I ever had was. At the workers' houses, they had a sheep over a spit with very, very coarse salt. And we did that about once a month on a Saturday. And that was the best prior you'd ever taste. But nevertheless, um, so you're like a computer nerd of sorts. I know nothing about I, IT, by the way. That's why it took so long to set this up. <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't exactly help. No, I, yes, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a computer programmer by profession and a computer scientist by study. So, yeah. So... Are you as worried about AI as Elon Musk? I, I actually refer to him as my arch nemesis because I, 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 I've had a very, I've had a very long, yes, I've had a very long running and an ugly public spat with him. 
and and because you went to Bryanston High uh, at some point, so I get no. But seriously, um, am I as worried? I'm no more worried about AI as as your average physicist was in the 50s about the atomic bomb. Both of them have the potential to wipe us out. Let's be honest. But again, with with, with every technology, we we've reached a point in our technological pro progression where we are creating things that have the potential to wipe us out. So yes, it could wipe us out. We should worry, but I think we should be very uh, aware of the cultural consciousness that uh, sort of Hollywood and, and, and books have had on us that have made us so afraid of AI before it's even really had a chance. You know, I, I know it's not like morally comparable, but it's sort of like the SWAT Khafar, you know, when, when 1994 came, they're like, oh, the blacks are going to absolutely run riots and whatever. But yeah, it's, it's sort of like as soon as we unleash AI, it's going to run riot. You know, it's no, it's 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 got danger, but it's not. I think Musk needs to chill on his fear. So is it, is, is it a bit like is it a bit like fracking? So there are risks involved. Those exactly. Risks, those risks are fairly manageable. And exactly. It's been done before and will be you know will continue as I mean exactly. We, we've let the genie out of the bottle at this point. So even if somebody's going to keep working, you, there there are books on the internet that can teach you how to develop all sorts of AI. There's and that's the other thing about artificial intelligence. It's sort of I'm. Um, sort of branching into machine intelligence as, as my machine learning as my field of study. But that's the other thing is that people don't understand that it's actually divided into very specific sort of disciplines, you know, you know, just as you get a doctor who could be a pediatrician or a cardiovascular specialist, you know, there's, there's different sure. disciplines in artificial intelligence. Okay. So, so I mean, one of, one of the big um, misconceptions about AI, I mean, basically people are worried that machines will learn to create their own instructions, basically, and no one can stop them. Is that the concern? Well, that good. Yes, they should. We want them to learn to make their own instructions, and here's why: because they're they're better at teaching themselves than we are at teaching them. Um, That's racist. Oh wait, machines aren't humans. No, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's cool. Well, actually, then the term may be at that they are a whole another race of beings. You know, is that? Yeah. I mean, will they ever be sentient? Do you think? Well, okay. So the my thing and and. Uh, my my issue with with that question is that a lot of people um, lump sentience together with sapience um, as as a term. And just just to unpack what you're saying there, by definition, when when you say sentient, um, I think of something that is self-aware and able to learn. And sapience is something that is able to learn is able to experience passion and experience certain qualia and able to suffer. And so I think a lot of the time when people say machines will never be sentient, what they're really saying is that they're, they're never going to be sapient, as in they'll never really know what it is to suffer heartbreak. And maybe they never will, but they're definitely going to be self-aware. So they'll definitely be sentient if that's your definition of sentient. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that was the definition I was using. I mean, so so we use that for to describe animal or perhaps certain animal. Exactly. They... Yeah. they sort of aware they exist but at a very basic level well i mean okay to to uh, as a better sort of differentiation between the terms something like a chimpanzee or a dolphin is both sentient and sapient and thus we have certain moral obligations towards chimpanzees and and, and dolphins that you're not supposed to be cruel and whatever it's then but something like a snail or 
or anything with a central nerve, let's say anything with a central nervous system is sapient. It's, it's able to experience hunger and suffer, but it's not sentient. It's not self-aware. It just, it can suffer. So there's different levels of self-awareness as it were. Okay. So are you a vegan? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. So, so you like animal stuff. Oh, thanks, Kathy Newman. Uh, <laughs> so what you're saying is we should hang and torture all the cattle in the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, I told you, I do, you know, I do follow certain um, tenets of, of traditional culture. So I have traditionally slaughtered animals on our farm and stuff. Um, yeah. So if that's what you mean by suffer, then sure. But uh, no, I, I don't particularly want animals to suffer, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think factory farming is, is the worst um aspect of that and that will that will change sooner or later with lab grown meat and a few other things but I'm, I'm sure we'll look back in 50 years and think you know it's on on par with the holocaust or even worse i mean 70 really? billion 70 yeah. billion animals get killed a year that's quite a high number billion with the b that's insane oh by the way just to cap off the whole ai thing one of the things i absolutely love about ai aside from it being my passion is the great good it has especially techniques like swarm intelligence um for those listening and if you know swarm intelligence just to dumb it down is i mean if you've seen a swarm of locusts flying through crops have you ever seen locusts collide with each other ever in midair i uh, know or fish, those giant balls of fish that move as one one object. Yeah, the schools of uh, fish. Sorry, schools of fish. <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, but your average fish or, or locust is no smarter than your average human. And yet we collide with each other all day, every day, when walking, when driving, when flying. And uh, one of the promises of, of swarm intelligence is the ability to harness that sort of interconnected information sharing amongst even really low intelligence entities to share intelligence as to our pathing and enable better safety measures, i.e. if all the cars in, say, a city were linked in sort of a mobile ad hoc network and they are moving as one swarm, then even if somebody was driving drunk or was driving unsafely or roughly, the other cars would know and could take corrective measures so as to avoid that car and the car would take over from the driver and it could save a lot of lives. And that's one of the reasons that I'm really passionate about sort of different disciplines of artificial intelligence. Uh, I'm actually quite distressed now because, I mean, some people need to die. <laughs> well, as, as Gandalf says, there are those who, who have life and should be dead and those who, who should be dead and don't have life. Yeah. No, it's, but I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, like we're taking away every aspect of Darwinism from the, from the human life. We're going to be idiocracy anytime soon because you know stupid people will carry on living because we make cars safer yes but what about the intelligent people who die in those accidents because of stupid people okay, yeah. collateral damage <laughs> I, I i think you get my point that i mean i get your point but at the same time i think you get what i'm saying that no i'm being completely facetious i mean i do think you know uh, I, I love I, that you use words like facetious by the way i got called out for using that the other day they're like what the hell does that even mean i'm like uh, never mind, guys. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it because you speak so well? Absolutely, yes. Why people can learn from you, you see? It's because I read books like Atlas Shrugged and, and things like that. You know what? I've never read that. I've read half of that book, and I thought it was the biggest pile of shit ever. It's a very divisive book. Divisive. No, I just found it boring. It was banal. Atlas Shrugged and, 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 and The Fountain. Really? So it's it's not so much the content, but her writing style. 
that puts you off. No, the story, everything was just boring. Like I couldn't, really? I could, I didn't care. Hmm, I'm surprised. It's like you know when you watch a movie and then you halfway through you're bored. That's what it was like. <laughs> Protective tattoo. I mean, I, I think found it quite interesting. Really? In what the, way? I, 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 um, I found it a very maybe it's because of the time I was going through it. You know, I found it a very interesting predictor of real life. When I, when, when, what was it the that they had an atlas shrugged? Was it the central planning board or something like that? Yeah. And they. And, and when I hear things like the Central Planning Board or whatever, and then I think of South Africa and I think of things like the NEC and I think of concepts like radical economic uh, transformation, I'm like, hang on, I've heard of this before. Oh, right, Atlas Shrugged. Right. I mean, I, I think the problem is I read all the economic theory beforehand. That's probably why. So, I mean, I read uh, Rothbard and von Mises and Hayek. So, so perhaps the, the con- I didn't need a narrative to understand the concepts. The, that's probably why, yeah. Like the, the narrative wrapped around it sort of was was superfluous for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a very popular book, and yeah, kudos. But for me, it was quite quite banal. So, what what I understand that you love Japanese history. I do, I do. And it's not just the samurai. I I. I I think there's just something very interesting about the the whole um, period, especially things like the Meiji Meiji Restoration period and the Edo period. Um, There's actually a very interesting period in in Japanese law called the Senjoku Kidai, which just basically means the time of great reckoning or great trouble. And uh, it was basically a period where the various major clans, you know, sort of like with European feudal lords had uh, sort of, a civil war on Japan, on the main islands of Japan, which is ironic considering how small Japan is. And um, the whole concept of a samurai is that they're supposedly so honorable and and, 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 and and great in their dealings. But if you actually read what happened during that period, the the ninja clans, which were their sort of mercenaries, they're, they're, they're dirty workmen, actually um, behave in a manner that's far more honorable than what the daimyos would do. For example, a certain daimyo would, would say, I will meet you at this battleground at this time and, and support you in this thing for this war. And they'll sort of halfway there realize that they're probably going to probably gonna have a hard time fighting this battle and think, ah, screw it. Whereas when, when, a, when a ninja clan was hired to do something or promised to do something, they would carry it out with absolute certainty because they honored the deal that they were supposed to make. So I find it interesting that, and not just that, is that a lot of people have a misconception about that period of time where it's like you said it's not just a samurai where oh these really cool sharp swords whatever no the samurai were actually sort of warrior poet judges jury and all that in them. they carried out a lot of civil uh duties in their society and that's a, and that's something that's the actual reason i find it so interesting is that for all this hype that they were so good at fighting with these swords first of all most of the time they fought dismounted archers and secondly, they carried out a lot of duties in, in, in creating civil order and poetry and that sort of thing. So, I mean, uh, okay, understood. Why, why Japan? Why Japanese history rather than I don't know any other specifically? I mean, are you into are you into the Japanese culture? Certain aspects of it, yes. I find it. I, I, I why, why do, why do people have a, a favorite color? I say, you know, I just find certain aspects of it rather interesting. Probably just the alien appeal, like some, so much of it was so alien and, and different to me. I mean, they had a whole different alphabet and, and they had this whole different way of looking at life. Yeah. 
what what interests me about the the Japanese is that they were probably in World War Two um, in Nanking and Unit Unit Seven Five One. The, rape, the rape of Nanking is that what you're referring to? That and then Unit Seven Five One, where they carried out medical experiments on Chinese prisoners. Yeah, hundred, but 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 the the, the evil. The, okay, yes, well, the, just the the banality of evil was so prevalent. When you get the Holocaust was discussed, and we should, but Nanking and Unit Seven Five One, it was. But I mean, four hundred thousand people dead in six weeks. Um, you know, boys forced to rape their mothers, uh, babies skewered on bayonets. Like it was an absolute orgy of violence and death. And and if you look at Japan now, it's a docile people. <laughs> The pendulum swings both ways. It it, it it swings to correct itself, as it were. And I can tell you, I, I have my own theory how they got to that level of evil, is that they sort of, again, leverage off that whole legacy of, oh, the samurai were so great and so honorable, and they always served their masters. And some very evil generals in the Japanese Imperial Army sort of leveraged off of that cultural edict and sort of used that to indoctrinate common people into thinking, you know what, as long as it's for your, your, your general, your daimyo, you know, this is okay. And, and that's, that's, that is one of the things of their culture that I don't like so much is that they used this previous great period of cultural sort of advancement to sort of turn it on its head and use it to force common people to do uncommonly cruel and disgusting things. Yeah, I mean, if you read the, the, I mean, I never read The Rape of Nanking, but there was a, a podcast about it, a two-hour podcast, and it, it was just, terrible. It's just the most horrible story I've ever heard. And when you, if you look at pictures, there's a very famous picture of, of a baby crying in just the middle of this desolate city. You can see fires, you can see crumbled buildings, and this baby's right in the middle, covered in soot, crying. And uh, yeah, that was really, really... Very, very painful to read about. And, and and today they're just docile and capitalist and they love Hello Kitty and Pokemon. Like it is it is the strangest thing. Pendulum swings harder the other way, the harder it swings one way. Within within one generation. I, I mean I don't know how they did it. But um but I mean have you been to Japan? Uh no. I was actually going to as as Weibo as the sounds, I was going to go there and teach English uh a while ago. Yeah, how stereotypical is that? And, uh, but then I, I kind of just got caught up with another job that I was doing at the time and then it didn't quite peter out. I mean, the problem with your face there is that they are actually racist. Oh, yeah. I mean, with they're, 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 they're the closest thing that you'll get to an ethno state as possible. Well, what an ethno state that everyone approves of. For some reason, except the Chinese, they don't like them too much. For good reason. Most of most of Asia doesn't like Japan because they've never apologized for what they've done. Even the Koreans don't really like the Japanese. Oh, really? I mean, I know the Japanese don't haven't apologized for anything, and I, I believe even the generals at the time were well weren't even prosecuted. No, there was one prosecution for Nanking, and but it was a, a slap on the wrist. But the emperor never apologized. Nothing was ever done. Well, of course, the emperor wasn't going to apologize. How do you how do, how do you cause somebody that they call a living god to apologize? It would have broken their whole. That's why I mean, when when they signed the surrender, it wasn't the emperor who signed it. It was the top general who signed it over to uh, MacArthur. Because imagine a, a, a being they consider a god surrendering to this Western Western guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see. <clears throat> I watch um, no. some YouTubers went to Japan. And it's just, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I'd love to visit, but I, I don't think I would enjoy being there. Uh, I, I like a lot of the technology that's going on there. Like, you know, obviously it's a technical, it's an area of technical excellence. Um, one of the things, oh, by the way, what, just to close off all the ethnostate thing, I think it's ironic that people love it as an ethnostate, and yet they were this, this, this completely shut off, um, closed ethnostate for so long, you know, when, when they were isolated from the world. And I think they're also the greatest argument against ethnostates, or one of the greatest arguments, because, yeah, they were so great. And then the West, with its sort of various people, showed up with a couple of gunboats and forced them to open their ports. And they only ever really advanced once they opened themselves up to the rest of the world and technology and thought from the rest of the world. So it just goes to show you that maybe your ethnostate isn't such a great idea. Well, I mean, South Africa is a great example of that, right? The mm. insular ethnostate cut off from the rest of, of the world for not as much as North Korea by any means, but for a substantial amount of time. And uh, you make it big in SA, cool, you never get anywhere else in the world. And then suddenly, after 94, we have these things called comedians that pop out the woodwork, right? And they're black. And they're called uh, David Cow. And David Cow travels to Australia to do a comedy show, like in whatever, 2000 and whatever. And, you know, this never happened before because we were fucking cut off. Like yeah, I, I mean, the other thing that, that kind of, uh, you know, knows that, that entertains you about the outright is that many of their sort of talking heads and their top, you know, thought process people do not pass their own purity tests, you know. You've got your Tara McCarthy, who's like, I think, 75% only white and 25% Indian and something like that. And then you've got, I, I, I've yet to meet somebody who's like an alt-right top talking head who's like pure white and, and then really passes their purity tests. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's so silly. Well, it's so never, silly. I mean, you'll never find them because pure race anything doesn't exist, uh, the, biologically the, speaking. And the, other, the problem the, with the Isna state is... I'm happy for people to form them. If we if we were like a free world and you could form your own states, I'm perfectly fine with people. Yeah, if you guys want to go live there in your little ethnostate, that's fine. But like, don't like, don't forcibly remove me from living next to my neighbor who I live next to out of both our our mutual free will. Sure, sure, and that's why I think the concept of apartheid. I could argue that it was a crime against humanity because it forcefully deprived certain people of property. I think that was the greatest crime mm. of apartheid. Like, I, I'm not too worried about the the benches and all that shit, but or teaching Afrikaans, but the the forceful expropriation of property rights for hundreds of thousands or millions of that was the biggest crime well my mom actually speaks better afrikaans than most afrikaans kids in pretoria but that's <laughs> um but yeah no i agree that that forceful you know, sort of deprivation of property rights is just yeah but, uh, but th thankfully we learned from that eh? it won't happen again oh totally 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 um you know what on the I, I assume we're getting to the whole expropriation without compensation point um so let's just cut to that uh, i i have my own wacky little theory about that and and it, and that is the the, the great saviors of, of this whole thing may actually be the tribal chiefs and here's why I agree. The, the Zulu king is not going to be the first king to cede his land to the government. And I've and I've uh, uh, my family, I've, I've spoken with certain vendor chiefs and, and and stuff like that, and they're like, "Yeah, no, I'm not handing over my property to the government." And 
And I think if push comes to shove, if, if, if Cyril really has to pull the trigger on that, the Chiefs will be like, nah. And if the people have to choose who to, who to, who to side with, Cyril or their chief, they're going to choose their chief. So I think, ironically, the Chiefs may be the great saviors in this whole thing. And then the Boers can get into an alliance with the Chiefs. And then it will be 1865 again, except the common enemy is the ANC, not the British. Perfect. We solved it. History. Yeah, circular, like history circularly coming around. We solved it. So we'll just replace the British with the ANC, and then just don't repeat apartheid. But I mean, other than that, we've Good solved to go. it. Good to go. Because I think yeah. the farmers, I think farmers or large land will side with other large land, irrespective of race or culture. It happened for hundreds of years. It happens again, and it will happen in the future. So that's what we need. We need an alliance between the chiefs and the farmers. Traditional leaders, yeah, then they'll be like, nah, I, I'm not down for that. Like, we're we, we can so, create, We can create different countries in South Africa. Just imagine. Imagine if the Zulus have their own country. I don't know. I, I'm not really down for like having 60 million pass. I don't really feel like having a passport to drive to... to to Durban. No, you can have like an EU thing where it's open borders for everyone. Yeah. And then they can all compete against each other. Okay, but would you forcibly be removed from these countries if you're not of that culture? Because well, then I'm not on board. I don't know. We need to ask them. I mean, but that happens anyway in in democracies all over the world. Start something new. If it ha- Just because it happens doesn't mean it's right. Well, no, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. But uh, I like that. I like that alliance between the Afrikaners, the, well, the farmers. The tribal. And, and the, the tribes. tribes. That, that's yeah. that's very good. That's history repeating itself. Mm. Well, once again, because fucks, we never learn, do we? No, no, no. We always have to be collectivists. We all have to, yeah. No, really. King, so, king country. So, I mean, so final, final thoughts. I mean, so all I found out from you is you like the DA. <laughs> oh, do I? AI is not a problem. Um, and Samurai is like the poetry. If, if that's the simplified version, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to cut this down to 10 minutes anyway, this whole okay. podcast. Yeah, just for that. Thank you, Kathy Newman. <laughs> so, like, long term, um, do you think the alt-right is a, a threat? I don't think it's survivable. And popular or unpopular opinion, I think a lot of the the younger guys who are in the alt-right are in it, not because they specifically believe in some sort of racial supremacy drive or identity drive, but because of sheer desperation that they're like, okay, if I side with these people who will accept me, then I'll be safe type thing. I, 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 I've yet to meet many sort of millennial white English or Afrikaans kids who specifically don't want to live in the same town as black people. I, I, they, 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 their, um, their allegiance to the outright comes out of, in my perception, out of believing that by align with the alt-right, they'll get rid of the crime element, which they inherently link to black people, except they forget that white people can rob each other too. But that's besides the point. Yeah, but, but we, we do it, we do it, well, not we, I'm, I'm half, but we do it like on a, on a massive scale. Right, with, with white collars and, and, and trades and all that. Indeed, now you know. And, and the thing that, as, as, as bad as it is right now, if, if what I like to think is, and maybe this is me being too idealistic, is if the common man can be swayed by political rhetoric to do these terrible things like farm murders and, and, and just general racist tendencies to each other, imagine what we could do to each other as human beings if we, could, if we were spat rhetoric that's sort of, you know, that's not evil, that's, you know, beneficial to each other, that's 
nice and good, you know, treat your neighbor well, that sort of thing. You know, if, if their hearts can be turned hard to each other, they can be turned soft to each other as well, per se, as ID ideological as that sounds well i mean there is president just looked 20 years ago that was that was until the Ibeki's Ibeki's presidency Ibeki won people forget this he won 70 percent of the vote in 70 percent that's almost like a rigged election and it wasn't rigged that's how popular the nc was because Trouble was always good mm-hmm. because they had five percent economic growth for consecutive years and that yeah. made a fuckload of difference so that's what I don't understand. Tubbo was always going to lose the reins of power because he was an Oxford gentleman that ruled from an ivory tower, <coughs> which may or may not be a good or bad thing, but it was a bad thing in the context of being the head of the ANC. Sure, it was bad because he got taken down. But if the ANC wants to hold on to this country by hook or by crook, it's much easier to do it by hook, by just growing the economy. We can be 5% in three, four, five years' time, however long it takes. And they still make more money off the top. And they, st- they can still have their patronage system. I mean, there's no downside to growing my, the economy. As my brother calls it, first world, first world corruption, where, yeah, yeah, your cousin still gets the tender, but at least he properly builds the RDP house and, it, and the roof doesn't cave in three weeks later type thing. Yeah. No, I, I, in, in, in the West, we call that lobbying, don't we? Oh, is that what it's called? Sorry, lobbying. Or, my the, bad. or political campaign finance i can't it's one of the I, two we call yeah, it we, I, we call it corruption in africa but we've got a, a special term for it with a white state I, i'm crazy though like i'm one of those crazy libertarians where it's up to me we, there wouldn't be a department of water affairs or whatever or any, any of that stupid that's why i i don't know about you but i hate the concept of, of a state of the nation address and the state of the union address it's so monarchist and stupid and just just write a letter. Obviously, write a letter. Obviously, you haven't letter. been reading my Twitter very well because every Sona, I say, just send a fucking email. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just, just send it because I watched it. I watched this one with journalists in a at, a at a gathering of sorts. And they all got the speech five minutes before he spoke. So I said, you see, it can be done. Just Bingo. fucking send it. I don't need to, to see millionaires in suits telling me how... how how much tougher it is today, so we're going to raise another 6 billion rand by stealing more fuck. That's not my idea of a good time. Hey, at least when, when Kanye is president, he's going to have a great suit on. Kanye 2024. I just, just can't wait. It's going to be him versus what? The Rock. No, 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 no. Here's my, my theory. It's going to be Ben Shapiro and Cardi B versus Kanye West and Candace Owens for the, for the Republican ticket. I can't see anything wrong with that. And for the Democrat ticket, it's probably going to be Eminem and maybe, and maybe, I don't know. Oh, come on. Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Eminem, Kimmel. Yeah. Two white men. Fucking typical Democrat. And, and like Jimmy can come on air and cry. Like if you don't vote for me, like. My son will die. Even though I'm worth $50 million. Yeah. I would love that. I mean, how do you feel about comedians loving the government? I find it, I find it. It's so anti-ethical to comedy in and of itself. It's, 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 I don't know. I mean, what do you think about comedy? It is the very antithesis of of, of comedy. I mean, maybe I'm conjecturing too much here, but you know, the the great progenitors of comedy, court jesters of medieval times, were, if you think about it, many of the songs and dances they did in front of the king and the court were actually mocking the nobility without them really realizing it, very tongue-in-cheek. And those were the progenitors of comedy and now 
the, the their descendants have their proverbial tongues stuck to the proverbial boots of politicians. Yeah, I mean Louis the Fourteenth in his court had a minister of I can't remember his name was, but he was paid surreptitiously by the king to to play devil's advocate at every single decision the king made and and violently so like he would disagree violently with all the other ministers because the other ministers are all fucking brown nosing assholes to say oh yes your majesty that's a perfect um perfect argument perfect idea let's go through it and he would come out and he would say no this is all bullshit everything you said is completely wrong and the kings kept those people and paid oh, them to do really? it is that where the concept of the naysayer comes from because i heard a similar story at at some point back in back in the day well, i was I, like is that really a thing like no, it was a, these people were paid to play devil's advocate and often they they truly believe what they said they had to be very persuasive but now mm-hmm. we've got the media entertainment social media and politics all agreeing on the same thing and that's when you know something's fucked up Oh, yeah. They all agree on transformation. They all agree on fixing the SOEs. They all agree on... Dump it. Dump every SOE. Right. I, 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 was, I was listening to this thing on, 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 on the radio. They're like, oh, it'll cost this much to dump SAA. Good. Dump it. Dump it. Because they're like, oh, it'll be cheaper to fix it. Okay, yeah, maybe it'll be cheaper to fix it. And then in 10 years' time, it becomes unprofitable again. Screw it. Dump it. I don't need the king's permission to fly. Dump SAA. Right, but everyone agrees on these things. Well, everyone, the, 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 the big pillars in society agrees on all these things. And that's when you know there's something wrong. We're not a totalitarian state yet, but in the minds of oh, yeah. the purveyors and the gatekeepers of information, we're very close. Oh, yeah. When last did, did you read an opinion piece where you're like, fuck me, this has completely changed my view? Jeez. Uh, I have to be honest, I'll say maybe when I read The President's Keepers, that's the most... Anti-government thing I recently read, I guess. Oh, please. Jacques Poe was furious that SARS was gutted from the inside. I read that. I was fucking happy as a pig in shit. It's like, oh, brilliant. They can't steal from us. Or That's true. Taxation is there. Or if they try, they're going to be really shit at it. So I approve either way of SARS being gutted. The well, problem... I mean, I hate tax because, you know, I hate poor people. Um, yeah, the only problem with the with the malevolent SARS is that they can target you and there's no lucky control. So that's why you yeah. just play the game, I'm afraid to say. But no, this, we're yeah. 10. So we've agreed as you, the spokesman for the blacks, me for the half-whites. Uh, yeah. We don't feel racism day to day. We both don't go to Dross. And yeah. the Afrikaners and the tribal chiefs must get together, make a pact, and fight the ANC. Let's do it. We solved it's, it. It's we solved South Africa. It's rocking. Yeah. I'll, I'll take my lordship in the northwest, close to the border of Bots. I'll be quite happy as my reward, as a leader of the of the new system. No, you take. I just want Gams Bay and Clifton. Well, isn't that where they manufacture white people? Like, how did you know? <laughs> that's where they make white people. Well, that's why we got Clifton there to make us less white. Yeah. Anyway, and then and then until you sabotage it by not giving us water. Yeah, yeah, that was that was totally us. That was that was definitely us. Yeah, you you, you people oh. must do the rain dance more often, please, especially down in the Cape, <laughs> for the sake of of social cohesion. <laughs> that, that, uh, I will I will I'll, I'll consult the emperor of black people in South Africa. Perfect, perfect. I'm sure we can come to some sort of mutual agreement with all the stakeholders. And the processes will be followed. Great, great. Excellent. Wotan, thank you. This was a complete fuck up and I loved it. I, I loved it as well. I, I think it's, I, I think it was entertaining to have two snarky sort of non-statists waxing off and on. And yeah, I loved being 
a traitor and loving things that I shouldn't love. So yeah. And and the two non-staters have solved all the state's problems in our So everyone, farmers, tribal leaders, an alliance need to form to build the new Wakanda. <laughs> we just need the alien technology. But nevertheless, Wotan, thank you, sir. I appreciate your thank time. You. I appreciate you, it. Hopefully so, yeah.